Amen. You can be seated. It's a joy to have you here with us in the house of the Lord this morning here at First Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. And it's always a joy to begin a worship service by following the Lord in believer's baptism and observing that ordinance. And so this morning before we baptize, I just want to explain to you briefly what baptism is and what it's not. And uh, first of all, baptism is an opportunity for a believer uh, in which we're commanded. It's not optional. We're, we're commanded to be baptized. Uh, baptism is the opportunity for a believer to obey Christ and, sh and go public with their faith. Now, baptism doesn't wash away your sin. So when someone gets in these waters and they go under the water and come back up, their sin's not being washed away and they're not being born again at that moment. That takes place by work of the Holy Spirit at some point in their life prior to this time. So we're to be baptized as believers. You can be baptized and be a soaking wet sinner, okay? The, the water ain't going to wash it away. It's the blood of Jesus, amen? And so uh, what a person's doing when they're baptized is they're coming and going public with their faith, and they're saying, I believe that God has been at work in me, and He's caused me to be born again. I'm a new person. Uh, by standing in these waters, this person is saying before you that they agree that they have sinned against God, that they're a sinner, and that they deserve God's judgment. They deserve to die for their sin. But by God's grace, God sent Jesus to die in their place on the cross. And when they're standing in these waters, they're saying, the old me died with Jesus on the cross. And when this person, one reason we baptize by immersion is baptism's like a picture. It's saying, look, the old me died with Jesus on the cross. The old me was buried with Jesus, right? And then three days later, Jesus rose again. Now, we're not going to hold him under for three days, right? But... <laughs> When we bring them back up out of the water, it's a picture of how that person rose with Jesus. Spiritually speaking, they're a new person. So the old me's dead and buried, and by grace through faith in Jesus, I've been raised to walk in newness of life. I'm a new person. This is the new me. Now watch me. So baptism is a portrayal and a picture of the weightiness of what it means to follow Christ. And so we rejoice in this this morning. This morning, Dean Belt has come. Dean, come on down in here. Dean... Up there. All right. Very good. Dean, uh, most of you know Dean now. He's been coming to church here probably all his life, as far as I know, longer than I've been here. And uh, his parents have been faithful to bring him here, his grandparents, and many of you have taught him in Bible school, vacation Bible school, and the nursery, and so forth. And so it's been a, a best been along a, a, a broad span. And so we praise God for that. And Dean, uh, first he came to me about a year or so ago, uh, came with his dad, I think it was, and and wanted to talk about baptism and had questions about it. He'd had questions before. We felt pretty good that he was ready then, but but uh, they went home to talk more about it. And I said, you know, just, just tell me when you want to talk again. So fast forward about a year. They came here a couple of weeks ago and said, we want to talk again. And Dean came up to me and said he wanted to talk about baptism. And we talked about it in my office again and, and uh, talked about some of the same things. So I'm just going to let Dean uh, tell you what he told me. I'm going to ask him a few questions. Dean? Now, today's Dean's birthday, by the way, all right? So he's going to get baptized on his birthday, all right? So, Dean, do you believe that you have sinned against God? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son who came to die on the cross for your sin? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus is in heaven reigning with God and you want to follow Jesus, turn yes. to Him and follow Him? That's called repentance. Yes. Amen. Well, Dean, based on your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus... I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Anybody else think we say amen? Amen? That was little brother. Here's big sister. You don't have to stand on this stool. Let me kick that out of the way. All right. Piper Belt has come this morning. After I talked with, with uh, to turn around like this so I can see you, okay? Uh, after I talked with Dean, Piper had been talking with her parents too some about baptism and, and perhaps Dean was the impetus to, to, for her to come forward and, and want to talk as well. But she approached me last Sunday. She had turned to her mom last Sunday during the service because they had talked already and said, I'm going to talk to him after the service, basically what she said. And sure enough, Piper hunted me down right after the service last Sunday and said, I want to talk about baptism. So her, me, me and Piper talked for quite a while in my office, and I talked with her mom uh, later on, and, and, uh, and it was very evident to us that God's been at work and God's shown her the same things that, that uh, we just talked about as well. So I'm going to ask Piper the same questions. Piper, do you believe that you sinned against God? Yes. Do you believe you deserve God's judgment for your sin? Yes. Are you sorry for your sin? Yes. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God that died for your sin? Yes. Are you trusting in Him alone for your salvation? One more question. Do you want to follow Jesus and put him first in your life? Yes. Amen. Well, Piper, turn around like this one. Based on what you've told us, based on your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You God's people say amen. I love to see you left. All right. Well, there's room in this baptistry to baptize more folks, but more importantly, folks, there's room at the cross for you. And that's the first thing you need to do. Is you need to admit that you've sinned against God and you have no hope of salvation outside of what Jesus did on the cross. And put all your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be born again. And if that's happened in your heart, we'd love to talk with you about it and then talk with you about what biblical baptism is and, and how we need to proceed with that. So... Love to do that with you today, to talk with you about that today before even the service is over or after it's over. You'd be sure and do that. I'm going to ask Tim Johnson to come forward right now. Tim's going to share a few announcements with us as we continue our service this morning. Thank you, Miss Marcia. And I'm asking you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in. I'm going to ask you to stand with me again as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you, there you'll find a Bible as well. If you need one, it's the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. It'll be Matthew chapter 7. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 21 and then through the end of the, verse of the chapter. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray together again. Our Father, thank you again that you've, by grace, brought us to this place this morning, that we can be under the teaching of the Word of God, under the preaching of the Word of God. Thank you for the time we've had in Sunday school this morning, or even in our own devotional times and quiet times, when we've been able to meditate over the Word of God with you and with others. We would ask now, that, Father, that as we've met in this place on the first day of the week, to encourage one another and exhort one another. We've, seen, we've sang to one another and sang to you songs centered around Christ and the gospel that might sustain us. Now we come to this time, Lord, that we would ask that the preaching of your word might be a means of our perseverance and of our producing fruit for your glory. Lord, that the preaching of your word might be the means of sinners being saved that may be here in this room right now or listen to this sermon at some point. God, that you would do your work through your word. Your word is like a sword. We pray that it would cut. It would do surgery upon us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. I don't know what type of test you took in school that you might have preferred. I'm sure most of you probably didn't prefer to have any kind of test at all or exams. For a brief time, after I'd done student teaching in college, uh, I was a pastor at a small church, and for a brief time I taught classes at a small college. And uh, I was one of those evil type of instructors. I liked to do the essay questions. I taught history and New Testament and church history and some other things. And instead of the multiple choice or true or false, I wanted to, the students to be able to write and explain themselves. So they dreaded those essay questions. Sometimes I'd give them... Uh, a list of questions ahead of time that I might ask, but they had to know answers to all those questions to be able to articulate those. But uh, I remember growing up in, uh, in school and in college later, sometimes I had the blue books. You remember the blue books? I don't know. Maybe some classes still use those today. Instructors still use them. And the dreaded blue books would come out, and that's where you'd write these long answers to these essay questions. And, but over that, I would prefer multiple choice, especially if I wasn't prepared as I might. Be. Of course, multiple choice can be tricky. But even more than that, you might prefer true or false. You might, you got at least a 50% chance. Unless you have the evil professor that says, well, if you select false, now tell me why you say it's false. Or if you select true, tell me why you say it's true. This morning, we're reminded of this passage of scriptures about those who make true and false conversions. Similarly, a true or false test, there's either... It's either right or wrong, 50-50. There's some people in verse 21, if you look at it, it says, they'll say, Lord, Lord, when they enter the kingdom of heaven. Will they enter the kingdom of heaven? Not everyone who says to me will enter the kingdom of heaven. And some people who say, Lord, Lord, it's true, they will enter heaven. 
Anybody that refuses to say Jesus is Lord will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But all true Christians will say, Lord, Lord. But not all who say, Lord, Lord, are true Christians. And what burdens my heart greatly as a pastor, and I know I've said this that time again, and perhaps the preaching will reflect it, is that in any church I've ever pastored or been a part of, that in that mix, in that room, where people identified with that congregation as members, there are some that are truly born again. And then there are some that are false converts. And it is my great burden that you would have, if you are a true convert, a true believer, that you would have great assurance of that. That you would not wrestle needlessly with doubts about your salvation at all. Yet I'm just as burdened that if you profess faith in Jesus, yet in fact are not a true convert, it burdens me greatly to think that you've been deceived by a false profession of faith and that you're not a true believer. And we see in Scripture right here that that happens. And so this morning, I want us to think about man's final exam. I've talked about tests this morning and exams. And as summer break has ended and classes have started back up, for those of you in college or taking classes or started school, I'm sure final exams is... Preparing for final exams is not something on your mind. It's probably the furthest thing from your mind is preparing for final exams. Let's just do what's in front of us. Not worry about final exams yet. And yet, it seems to me that that's how people approach what really matters in life. About that final day. In fact, if you look at your Bible in verse 21... It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, we enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. Verse 22, look at it. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. On that day, what day is he talking about? It's the day of judgment. It's man's final exam. And for many people, preparing for that day, man's final exam, is the furthest thing from their mind. For many you just want to focus on what's right in front of you. i got plenty of time. And yet, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Salvation, in other words, is, is being held out to you today. Repent and turn to Christ today. Or else, Jesus says some of the most shocking words that some will hear on that day. That false converts will hear these words. In verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. What shocking words that will be to some who profess to know Jesus, who say, Lord, Lord, who say the right words and appear to have done the right things, but have never been born again. And he will say, I never, never knew you. Go away. You're not right with me. Let me say this to you. To warn is to love. <laughs> we, we spent a long time in the book of Hebrews about a year ago, and I spent about a year in the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews is filled with warnings. All designed as an act of love by God to warn people, don't 
presume upon your salvation. Be sure, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. That's biblical. That's in the Bible. Examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. And over and over in Scripture, we are warned about this. This is our God, our God, the Lord Jesus Christ has come to earth. And now, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, hear His compassion. Here is warning, verse 13 of chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate. Almighty God, the Son of God is saying, enter. He's graciously warning. He says in verse 15, Beware! Enter! Come over here! Repent! Turn around! Enter here! Beware of false prophets that might mislead you. Build your house on the solid rock of my word. He's warning. It's the same thing. This is the God we serve. The God who's looking down upon us right now. He does not wish that any should perish, but all come to repentance. So he's warning. He warned through the prophets in the Old Testament over and over. Don't do this. Don't do this. If you do this, you're going to be judged. I was reading, I believe it was just yesterday in 2 Kings where says about the people of God, God's own people who have been warned over and over, don't commit idolatry. After all, it's one of the first commandments, right? And he says to them in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 12, they served idols. They went ahead and did it anyway. Of which the Lord had said to them, so he had warned them already, you shall not do this. And listen to what it says. Yet, <laughs> praise God for that word, yet. Yet, even though they, they kept on doing it, and he said, I will, don't do this. Yet, the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers, and I sent to you my servant the prophets. He gave them the commandment. He said, don't do this. and made it explicitly clear, even though it was written on their hearts anyway. He warned them by giving the commandments written in stone. Then they committed idolatry, and they continued to do so. And so he prophet after prophet after prophet, and he's warning, and he's warning, and he's warning, and he comes to earth himself, and he's warning, and he's saying, enter by the narrow gate. Beware of the false prophets. Prophets, build your house on, on the solid rock of my word. This is a God that wants you to repent. He doesn't want you to be deceived. He doesn't want you to hear the words. He doesn't want to have to say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's why he's telling them this. I mean, if he wants, if he wants to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you, why would he be warning them about it? To warn is to love. And this is what God is doing. Tonight, we will... Uh, in lieu of our evening service at 6, we're going to have a night we call Care Night. It's, as you can see, it stands for the church attempting. Attempting because we can't do it. The church attempting to encourage, excuse me, to rescue and encourage. Why would we have a night like this? Or, or We don't have to have a night like this. Many of you do this already. You, somebody's not been to Sunday school for a while and you're, you're writing them a letter. You're making a visit. People tell me about these things and I appreciate that about you as a church family. But we're having this particular night because we know that sometimes we, we have people in our church family right now, some that are here in this room that need to be encouraged, right? You're going through some difficult times. So this is an evening for that. We might write letters to some folks who are going through some hard times that are believers 
as far as we know. But it's also an attempt to, re- to rescue. We may have believers who are identified as our church family who haven't been here and we don't know how long. Or, and or, have some very serious sins in their life that we're aware of that, and we want to rescue them. We want to go to them and say, look, you're n- your profession is not, your, your life's not matching your profession. We can't say for sure about your soul, only God can, but, but we're, we're, we're not so sure. We want to rescue so that there might be repentance. So tonight is an evening where we will seek to warn those who could be false converts. We want to seek and encourage those who are true converts. This is what we do as a church family. This is what we're called to do, not to presume that everybody who's ever been baptized or said a prayer is on their way to glory, because it's just not true. You must be born again, and the prayer that one prays could be a true expression of having been born again and becoming a true convert, and that person's baptism hopefully, truly is a true going public with a true faith in Christ. The big question for us this morning then as we look at this passage of Scripture is this. How can you know if you're ready for man's final exam? Again, that might be the furthest thing from your mind, but it should be the most important thing on your mind. How can you know if you're ready for man's final exam? There's three responses to this I want to give you quickly as we look at the Word here. The first response is the religious response, what I'd call the religious response. The religious response. You know the old hymn. I love going down the nursing home. We sing this old hymn. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. It was good for the prophet Daniel. And it goes on and on and on. Whenever we do that, normally... Brother Jerry can tell you, he goes with me usually, I'll get at the end of that hymn or sometimes before it, and I'll say, now look, let me just give some clarity here. There's only one true religion. We read about it in James just now together as as Noah read that for us. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that results in, it's not obtained through works, but it results in works to the glory of God. It's not faith, it's not religion in Buddha or religion in anything else or, or I love Jesus, yes I do, I love Jesus, how about you? Let's all just get excited about Jesus and live this place, leave this place and not live for Him. That's just religion. I just put my money in the offering plate and sing the songs, go through the motions and say, hey everybody, I'm doing my, my church thing today and Christ is part of your life, but He's not center of your life. He's not Lord. He must be Savior and Lord. So the religious response, you look at verse 22, and I think you see that to an extent here in verse 22. Are you looking at your Bible? Verse 22 says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Well, what's going on there? They're saying the right words. He is Lord. And they've done some things here. There's, there's no refuting about some of these things that have been done. It somewhat provides them attention for us about these things. Three times they say it's been done in the name of the Lord. Perhaps some sensational things, some exciting things. 
but speaks little about what's happened in their heart. So it's possible to be very religious and, of course, be lost. This is the case for these individuals. And you notice their response is, look at my works. Possibly part of the problem here is that they're depending on those works to make them right with God, and certainly that's not the right thing. But as we look at this thrust of the passage of Scripture, we see that the evidence of true salvation should be a changed life. It should be works that follow it. But what kind of works? Sensational works here that, uh, that draw attention to themselves and is an end to themselves? So there's the religious response, the one that merely comes to church and plays the game. And secondly, there's what I would term the relationship response, the relationship response. And I think this needs some careful clarity, and I'll try to provide that for you. But there's, there's you know, we've heard preachers say this before, you know, it's one thing to have a religion, and it's another thing to have a relationship with God. And that is so true. We uh, are right to emphasize that being born again involves a relationship with God. It's one of the most wonderful things about being born again is having Him as your Father, right? Jesus teaches us right here in the Sermon on the Mount. If you just flip back one chapter to chapter 6, He says, pray when you pray, right? When you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray. He just assumes that true followers are going to pray. But there's a lot of people pray and are not true followers of Jesus. But true followers will definitely not leave that out. They'll pray. Then he gives them a whole uh, outline of, he says, when you pray, he doesn't say pray these words, Matthew chapter 6. He says, pray then in this way. Here's how to pray. So prayer is critical. It's a critical part of a manifestation of someone that has a relationship with God. So what do you mean by the relationship response? Well, the, the false response is it's kind of the flip side of it's, it's a person maybe not outwardly going through the motions of public worship and so forth, but, but when you talk to this person, I don't know how many times somebody's told me this, they'll say, well, I know I've not been to church in a while, or I, I know I've got this in my life and that in my life. I know what you're saying, preacher. I know what you're saying, friend, about I need to do this and I need to do that. But don't you worry about me. Me and God are good. i still got my relationship with God. I talk to God all the time. Me and God talk all the time. I don't know how many times I've heard those type of responses from people. That just because they pray every once in a while while they're out on their boat or they're out doing what they want to do, that they think that them and God are okay. Now, I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture that there can be a case of mistaken identity when it comes to the day of judgment. You ever met somebody before or saw somebody before and you thought you knew who they were and you went up to them and said, Hey, how you doing? And they looked at you like, Depart from me, I never knew you. I don't know. He, oh, I thought you were so-and-so. No, I don't know who you're talking. You got me mistaken for somebody else. This is the sort of thing, if you look in your Bible, Depart from me, verse 23, I never knew you. There never was a relationship. It's not I knew you once and you lost the relationship it's, I never knew you. I, there never was a relationship. I never knew you. So there's, so in this relationship response, there's this person who presumes they have a relationship with God because they talk to God sometimes. Or read their Bible every once in a while. But there's, there's really nothing to it. He's, he's not, 
He's not center of their life. Jesus says here in this passage of Scripture, He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, in verse 21, you see that? We pray that way. He teaches us to pray that way, doesn't He? Our Father... And that's the part we like, you know, Father. He's God, but He's Father. And we should like that, to be adopted into His family. And the implication of that is we, get to, we can pray to God. We, we can go straight into the throne room through Jesus and, and talk to Him and enjoy His presence, right? That is, that is a wonderful thing about being a Christian. We're not minimizing that. If you are a Christian, you're going you're to have that relationship as, his, as He is your Father, Right? But what does it say? Our Father who is in heaven. He's our Father in heaven. He reigns over all things. He's in heaven. He's sovereign. And remember what they say right before this. Lord, Lord. So He's Father. And He's Lord. So what is a relationship? So what, do we really, what is really a relationship with God anyway? Man, it's talking with God. It's praying. It's enjoying being in His presence with God's people or being in His presence alone sometimes. But, but relationship is not just Him as Father. It's, it's, it's Him as Lord. It's Jesus as Lord. That means following Him. So a relationship is, is more than just this, yeah, me and God, are we're just best buddies. It's not that at all, really. But me and God, do, we talk, we pray. I enjoy my time with the Lord but, it, but that relationship is also following Him as King and doing the things that please Him. That's a relationship with God. And I think people just, just emphasize half of this relationship thing when we talk about it. I hope you're tracking with me. So there's the relationship response that falls short. There's truth about that, but it can fall short. It's good to be religious. That's good if it's the right religion, unless you're just playing the religious game. Not everyone, Jesus says, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You can say the right words and seem to be doing the right things and be lost. And thirdly, there's the repent response, a repentance response. This is what the whole Sermon on the Mount's about. And he gets to the end of it and he says, enter. He's saying, come over here. You're on the, you're on the broad road. You're on the road that leads to destruction. Enter. Enter. If you need to enter, that means you're not there. You need to enter. You need to repent. First word of Jesus' public ministry we mentioned last Sunday. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I've mentioned before in Romania, the believers there, in the Orthodox Church, most are not believers. They're religious and lost. They have no true relationship with God. The Orthodox Church there refers to the evangelical believers as repenters. That's what they call them. Those are repenters. It's almost like they, those, are, those are a cult or something. They're repenters. Those people are really serious about, living, about doing what Jesus said. They're repenters. And folks, that, that's, that's right. We're repenters. We're, we're believers. We're, what kind of believers are we? We're, we're believers that believe so much that we want to keep turning from our sin and keep following Jesus, Right? But there's a false response in relationship. So really, this last one emphasizes the most truth about any of these responses is a repent response. But there can be even a false response in relation to repentance. It's where someone says, well, yeah, preacher, I agree with you. I repented a long time ago. Yeah, I repented. Okay. So what's, what's going on now? You, 
You're still repenting, right? No, I did that a long time. I did that. You, you did that. <laughs> That's not... It, it's, they're, they're, they're emphasizing some decision. I did that. I got that done. I went, and got, I went and got that done a long time ago. I got my repentance took care of. No, 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 no. Repentance is putting your faith and trust in Jesus, and then you, you continue to repent and turn from your sin all the time. You're walking with Jesus. It's a walk with Christ. There's a point in your life, truly, when you're born again, you come to repentance and faith, but you don't stop repenting. You keep turning from sin. Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 23, or Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, look at verse 23, Then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, now see the emphasis on the present tense of workers? You looking at your Bible? You workers of lawlessness. They're still working lawlessness. Lawlessness means to be without the law. They live their life without reference to the law of God in the way and light of Jesus coming. They, they are workers. They're presently workers of lawlessness. Repentance doesn't characterize their life. Jesus warned about this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 8. He said, So you also outwardly, you appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And that's not the type of repentance that we're talking about. It's repentance that in which you're born again and you begin to live a life of repenting and turning away and turning to follow Christ. Every day we're faced with temptations that we must turn away from and repent from and or even sins that we commit and we repent of. So here's a test for you to listen to. And I'm going to give you three true or false questions True or false? You can answer these about yourself. True or false? Can you say this about yourself? I am building my life on obedience to Christ. True or false? Can you say that about yourself? It might be somewhat of a hard answer to give. Maybe somebody else needs to answer it for you. Speak grace into your life. Those that are humble may be hesitant to answer this. True or false, I'm building my life on obedience to Christ. Why do you say that, preacher? Well, look at verse 24. We've been trying to teach my kids because uh, of the song again, you know, this week. Wise man built his house upon the rock. Wise man built his house upon the rock. Wise man built his house upon the rock. And the house on the rock stood still. That's the way we say it in East Tennessee. But my wife says it stood firm. And I think she's right as usual. This is what Jesus t- tells us in verse 24. He tells the parable about the, ha- the story here, the illustration about two houses built, one on rock and one on sand, correct? And if you look, he, what, what's he say? Verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them is like somebody that builds their house upon a rock. So just outside of town here, they're building a, another retirement facility, correct? Out there towards Rural King and on the right as you go out of town. And if you look over uh, right now, uh, earlier this week, there was a big old slabs of concrete down there on that dirt. And now there's, you know, the walls are starting to go up. And I was trying to explain to my kids this week, you know, if they didn't have that concrete down, they just put two-by-fours in that dirt in there, you know, without any concrete down there not any foundation what do you think would happen when it rained real hard and they said well it it wouldn't stay stay up it'd fall down i said that's right and so jesus is saying god's words like that you try to 
you try to live your life in a way that pleases God apart from what Jesus has said here in His Word, here in the Sermon on the Mount, in light of how Jesus interprets the law, then it, your house is going to come crashing down. Your life is going to be destroyed. On that day, on the man's final exam, you'll not pass. You'll be destroyed. It'll be like building sandcastles. Verse 26, you know, you go out, if you've been to the ocean before, or maybe by the lake even, and build a little sandcastle there, and then the tide comes in from a boat going by, or, or the ocean's current coming in, or whatever, you know, and that tide coming in, and what happens to the sandcastle? You know, it's gone. It has no foundation. It's gone quickly. The foolish man builds his house that way. He builds his house right next to the river. No elevation on it. And he's asking for it. This is what Jesus is saying. In verse 26 and 27 says, Everyone who hears, look at verse 26, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So what's, what's the emphasis here in this whole passage? It's about doing what Jesus said. It's about doing the Word of God. It's about living it out. It's about repentance because we don't do what He says. So it's, it's repentance that is the right response. It's a life of repentance. It's, I'm building my house, my life on what Christ has said. I'm not indifferent to that. I'm not just being religious here. I'm not just saying I got this relationship or that I repented a long time ago. But I'm, no, I'm building my house on obedience to Christ. I'm not doing it perfectly. By the grace, I'm seeking to. So how are you building your marriage? And how are you, how are you raising your kids? What reference do you, point, do you go to to do these things? I think of how Bo and Kelly Belt, we baptized Piper and Dean this morning. Ethan was baptized a few years ago. And, and it's just a joyous occasion that a family uh, comes and, and sees their children baptized, who've brought their children to this church family, and, and you've taught them in Bible school and reinforced what uh, Bo and Kelly have been doing in the home and so forth. And, and they've been seeking, not perfectly, but they've been seeking to build their house on, on the rock, on the Word, upon what Jesus has said. And now they're seeing, they believe, fruit. They're seeing their children. Not just going through motions, you know, we're not just, this is not just like another form of infant baptism here when we baptize someone that's maybe under 18 or something, okay? I hope you understand that. There's a lot of conversation goes into that. It's a weighty thing. We believe we're seeing evidence and fruit of that labor, of that building, and God's blessing, amen? We get to enjoy it together. So true or false, I'm building my life on obedience to Christ. Number two, true or false, I felt the true weight of my sin. I have felt the true weight of my sin. Have you been under conviction that you're a sinner, that you deserve hell, you deserve God's judgment? The reason I say this is when you look at verse 28, Jesus finished this whole sermon, finishes these sayings, and how does the crowds respond in verse 28? What's your Bible say? The crowds were astonished at His teaching. Why was they astonished? Look at verse 29. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. They were astonished because he taught as one having authority. The scribes, when they taught the Word of God, you know what they were doing? The teachers of the law, the Jewish leaders, they were stifling the function of the law. So hang with me for a moment. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 says this, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. 
imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So what happened before faith came? The law was holding us captive. That's how the law functioned. It held us captive. It was to function to make us understand that we're in prison here. I need to get out of this prison and the law's not getting me out because I can't keep it right. So then verse 24 says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So the law keeps us in this prison, lets us know how sinful we are. That's how it's supposed to function. So that when Christ comes and fulfills the law in every way, we realize we can't keep the law in order to be right with God. We just can trust in what Jesus has done. But the scribes had stifled the function of the law through their teaching. And they had taught through their, through their very teaching, through their words, but also through their example, that you could be right with God. That they were righteous because they were keeping the law. They were law keepers in their own minds. They were legends in their own minds. And so, hey, they would say, we've never committed adultery. We're right with God. We've never murdered anybody. We're right with God. And Jesus comes along and says, if you looked at a woman to lust in your heart, you're not right with God. If you have anger in your heart, you're not right with God. And their teaching and their example was saying to the people, though, that as long as they followed the, the example of the scribes and Pharisees, they could be right with God, that they could make their way out of that prison and be right with God. They had stifled the function of the law. And Jesus comes, teaches with authority, and when they hear the, the authority of Jesus' teaching are astonished by it, they become aware by the grace of God that they are not right with God. They've not kept God's law. The stifling of the false teaching is removed and replaced by a sense of the holiness of God that they can never be right with God that God must provide a way out of that prison of sin and death and so when Jesus comes and one, one hears the astonishing way in which Jesus teaches they become aware of the weight of their sin they don't leave this sermon thinking I'm a pretty good guy you leave reading the Sermon on the Mount, just reading, and as we've done it the last several months together, and we realize we don't do it. There's not a one of us doing this perfectly. We need God's mercy. We need God's grace. Have you felt, true or false, have you come to the place and felt the weight, the true weight of your sin? Have you seen that you're a spiritually bankrupt sinner only deserving of hell? And thirdly, true or false, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. My mom and dad, we grew up in East Tennessee and they had a house they built when I was growing up and then they decided to sell that home a few years ago and bought a new house. Just maybe a mile or two up the road, they built a new house that was on a little bit higher elevation right up in the mountains. Just, just beautiful. And... Uh, Said to mom and dad when they built that house, I said, you're going to build you a basement? Because you're up on a hill. They'd been a tornado come through there a few years earlier and killed some people there where I grew up. And They said, no, we're not digging a basement. It costs too much money. Uh, if something happens, something happens. <laughs> you know, We're not worried about it. We're ready to go. No basement, no worries. They weren't worried about that kind of foundation in their home, a basement, but... Because they have a solid foundation by faith alone in Jesus Christ. 
Christianity, D.A. Carson said, is not, is not a moralistic religion of high ideals. So don't leave the Sermon on the Mount thinking, Jesus has got a really high standard of how to live, be right. And so that's what Christianity is. It's, it's just really being a really good person. Then you can go to heaven. That's not what the Sermon on the Mount's about. You've got to keep the Sermon on the Mount in context, or you're going to think that all this emphasis on hearing the Word and doing the Word. But remember... What was first said about Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 before he ever said repent in his public ministry? They said, she will bear a son and he will save his people from their sins. Who's going to save us from our sins? Are we our own Savior? Are we going to reach this kind of moralistic platitude and, and get ourselves out of this prison? No, he's coming to this world to die on the cross to save us from our sin, right? So it's not about what we do ultimately. What we do is a manifestation of whether or not on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I'm building my life on obedience to Christ. I felt the weight of my sin. And the only way that I can be right with God is through faith in Jesus. I'm putting all my trust in Christ. You keep the Sermon on the Mount in its context, realizing Jesus came and died, then that's where you need to land. True or False. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all over the ground is sinking sand. Or you could say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Can you say that? That's where my hope is built. How will He save? I've said it the last two Sundays, and I like saying it, I'll say it again before I close in prayer. Jesus fulfills the law, and how does He do it? Jesus comes and He fulfills what the prophets spoke about the law. All the types and shadows are fulfilled by Him. He said, don't, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So how does He do that? Every type and every shadow in the Old Testament, all the symbolism is fulfilled in Jesus. He's the high priest. He's the holy of holy. He's the place. He's the one you go through. He's the sacrifice. He's everything that it points to. He fulfills the messianic prophecies. He's the promised king. And He does the law perfectly. He does it. He fulfills it because He does it in His earthly life. And then He's treated on the cross as if He didn't do it. When He's hanging on the cross, He's treated as if He didn't do anything perfectly. As he, as if He did what was right in His own eyes. And by faith alone in what Jesus did on the cross, God looks at us as if we did it all perfectly. Because we're credited with Jesus' righteous life. And that's a... That's just not a fairy tale. It's just not something you make up. This is what... This is good news. Trust in Him alone for salvation. So, as we conclude this morning, as you bow your head and close your eyes with me right now, I would plead with you, as every head's bowed and every eye's closed, I would plead with you. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. If, if the desire of your heart is to turn away from your sin, you, you understand that you've sinned against God and you don't like it and you, you're tired of this, this, this life. You don't want to be in charge of your life anymore. You believe that Jesus is King and you do want to repent and turn to Him and call out to Him and say, Oh God, 
I have sinned against you. I, I deserve to be punished for my sin. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for me. And right now, right here, God, I'm putting my trust, all my trust in what Jesus did to save me. I want to turn from my sin. I want to repent. I want to follow Jesus. You call out to Him that way. And if you're calling out upon Him that way right now, then please, by all means, I'd like to talk to you or talk to a mature Christian friend who you know you'll speak truth to so they can talk to you about how God's working in your heart and what, and what all this means. You, you do that. You can come during this last song and share with us what perhaps a, uh, you feel that God's doing in your heart and we'll rejoice with you and we'll, and we'll talk about it afterwards just to be sure about any questions you might have. But you obey what Christ is saying to do this morning. You're a believer in Jesus. How are you building? Are you building your marriage, your, your family, your, your decision-making on the Word of Christ? Are you just pinning on the Word of Christ? Or are you trying to be wise in your own eyes? What's God convicting you about this morning? Father, I thank You for Your Word. and I thank You that You love us, and that's the reason You give us this weighty conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, to warn us so that we don't hear those horrible words, depart from me, I never knew you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning that are true believers, that they would have a, a strong assurance of where they stand with you this morning and not needless doubts, that we would be careful to speak grace into one another's life and point out evidences of grace. And then, Father, I pray for those who are here that could be false converts, never, never, never made professions of faith in Jesus. Father, I pray that we would be gracious enough to one another to speak truth and to warn so we might rescue. May God do this for your glory and your name's sake, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to stand right now and sing together this closing song. And as God's, If God's speaking this morning, you come. You can come and pray. I can pray with you if you'd like. You can come and pray here on your knees if you'd like to or whatever, but come with someone. If you'd like to talk with me right now, you can as well, and we'll pray together and talk. But you come if God's speaking to you. Let's stand and sing together this morning. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. 
a popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.